is. <laughs> and then the swipe your nose like a credit card. I'm like, oh, what if he sneezes? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very sneaky surprise for your undercarriage. <laughs> very sneaky surprise for your undercarriage. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, 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 hello. All right, enough. I'm sorry. This is episode 78. <laughs> 78 bitches of. I'm sorry, what the podcast? We are fucking back. We're back. <laughs> Better than ever. Just kidding. We're the fucking same. We're the we're the same. Just a little less stressed out. Maybe a little more stressed out. I don't know. We're That's the same. Amanda. Oh, yeah, I'm Amanda. That's I'm Christina. Christina. I'm cool. I'm a loser. <laughs> hey. I'm old as balls. Old as hills. <laughs> she's old as balls. It was her birthday yesterday. <laughs> she's so fucking old. Also, for those of you who listen to us and don't know what we look like, Amanda does not look <laughs> like an old cat lady. I am still <laughs> a little offended by that. <laughs> We had someone say that I did not look like they expected. No, I sent him a Snapchat, and he was like, who is that? First of all, he asked if it was Amy. Yeah, whoever the like, fuck Amy is, Excuse not me, me. What the fuck did you do to Amy? And then... <laughs> it's not me. And then he sent me a picture. He's like, this is what I pictured Amanda Moore to look like. I look like a dweeb. <laughs> like a nerd. She's a fucking nerd. But... Oh. Oh, God, that's so funny. So you thought I was a nerd? She's the hotter one of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm a solid eight, but she can go like solid ten. I do pretty okay when I try. (laughs) Me too, but I mean, like we do pretty good (laughs) right now. now, I would set us at like a low three, low three, (laughs) because you know, because mama's support happening. Uh, The Vikings just just fucking lost again. It shouldn't uh, be something new, but it still breaks my heart. Um, we Still also hurts. took naps, so yes, I'm going to talk about naps. <laughs> that was another thing. So that was nice. Naps are the best. Uh, yeah, so we are just like comfy cozy. We've been chatting about some possible merch eventually, so we're, I've been looking at that, trying to find uh, the best route to go about with our small podcast I think we people. need to set up a Patreon too. I keep I hate asking people for money. I know, but I feel like we're gonna do it and just see what happens, but not be obnoxious about we it. We just have so. to look into it and see like numbers and percentages and if it would be worth doing. Because if it turns out that it's like twenty bucks and they're gonna take fifteen of it because of yeah. whatever, then it's like, eh, what's the point? Um, I have to also do a shout out because I don't know if you saw, but well, how do I fucking find it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what you're looking for. On our on our Instagram. Yes. I'm. How do I get to messages? Oh, there we go. Found it. I was going to say, Quana. Um, a girl from New, or New Zealand messaged us. Ooh, how fun. <laughs> First of all, her, name, her name's Gabs. And, <laughs> um, but it says crazy cat lady. <laughs> So you the best. And then there's all these cute kitties on her profile. Uh, well, and she messaged us to say, hey, guys, recently found your podcast and you are hilarious. Only up to episode nine, but binging the hell out of it. Keep up the great work following all the way from New Zealand. I love that. And I was like, oh, thanks, Gab. You're the best. 
Also, nothing against crazy cat ladies. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I am not a crazy cat lady. I'm like a, I'm a nerd. Okay, I'm a nerd, right? Um, do I like laying in bed versus climbing a mountain? watching her backpedal now. <laughs> I, no, I'm like, do I like laying in bed rather than mountain climb? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Who doesn't? Um, but... I'm allergic to cats, so I can't be a cat lady. <laughs> I'm allergic to cats. Uh, I would be a dog lady if I had the space. Me too. I would be a crazy dog lady in a heartbeat. I would I'm totally already, like, be like a crazy lizard lady. That would be fun. And snakes. Ooh, that'd be so cool. No, it would yeah, not. Yeah, it'd be like awesome. Snakes. I'm going to do no, it just because you made that face. Shut up. Then you'd have to kill the mice. It's fine. I don't kill it. I just put it in there. They eat it. <laughs> It's the circle of life, Nielsen. How do you think people live? I just, I don't like to think about it. You know? You know? You know. You know. <laughs> you know. You know. You fucking know. All right, enough. <laughs> oh, God. This is, I'm sorry, guys. Hey, you know, so it's back after up? a couple weeks. Man and I were really stressed out. We just needed to, we were trying to plan when to record and it kept not working out. And finally, I'm just like, maybe we just need to take, clearly this isn't working. Maybe we just need to take a couple breaks. Just a break. Yep. Just so, give our, let's get our lives back under slightly more control. Well, it was just a crazy couple of weeks. And then it was just like, when you could, I couldn't. When I could, you couldn't. And you know what? Everybody needs some time off, right? Yeah. So we try not to do it often, but it's happened a couple of times and it'll probably happen again. I'm going to be well, honest I mean, with you. But, you know. Both of us have full-time jobs still and other things like side hustles like yeah. photography and Mary Kay. And, and mapping. Well, that's just a bonus. That's just that's, that's a bonus we give ourselves. That's okay? what I give myself in a bonus. <laughs> I just get to sleep a little bit. Just a little bit. That was, Chris gave me shit today because I was just like, I was pretending I was sleeping. And mm-hmm. Leon, my nephew, was like trying to wake me up. And he goes, oh, just give it 20 minutes and she'll wake up because I don't sleep. Like every 20 minutes or so, I like toss and turn. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I listen, keep you awake. Listen, you. If I could sleep, I would. So don't give me right, shit. Don't act like. It's a choice. <laughs> I choose to just not sleep because it makes me very tired. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, to the podcast. We're fucking back. Hold on. I have another funny story for you. Oh, boy. It's funny. Are you ready? I think so. It's about Yamas. Oh, Tom Tom. Tom Tom. So, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. Doesn't matter. But we were sitting in the living room by ourselves. TV was on. We weren't talking. It's like dead silence. And I was playing on my phone, watching TV, and he goes, so... If I were to make wooden swords, would you sword fight with me in the backyard? (laughs) But I I sit up and I go, are you fucking serious? (laughs) Are you wanting to LARP with me? He goes, yeah, I think it would just be a fun exercise. I'm like, what about that? Sounds fucking fun. (laughs) If you want a fun exercise, take the two giant dogs we have. One who is highly addicted to television for a fucking walk outside <laughs> he's like well we wouldn't hit each other and i'm like who the fuck are you kidding you give me a sword i'm gonna beat the shit out of you with it. <laughs> he's like if you hit me i'm like i'm gonna hit you in the balls and he's you're like, the one who asked me to do this you want to fight we're gonna fucking fight <laughs> and i was like i will win i will win his life or death situation <laughs> and he's like <laughs> I go, I can barely walk without snapping an ankle, and now you want me to sword fight in uneven ground? 
It's like, no, it's life or death. <laughs> I will win this because I need to keep the high ground so I don't fall over. <laughs> and he's like, so you, you, know, you think it's a bad idea? And I'm like, yeah, it's a bad idea. You're fucking old. My legs break easily. We're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine going to the doctor and being like, well, what happened? See, my dad and I were sword fighting in the backyard. <laughs> Amazing stories to start at tell the doctor though. So what happened? Well you see a sword fighting in the backyard. And also, if we're gonna sword fight, we're gonna do it with real swords. Right. We're gonna lose a limb. We're not just gonna break a limb. Uh so that was my I was like Alright, first of all, it's a really weird question to ask me. That is out of nowhere. Second of all, there are so many other ways that you could exercise. But that's the funnest one. That does sound like the funnest one. Perhaps we should get foam swords. <laughs> that is legit LARPing right there. <laughs> you guys need, you gonna get costumes? Get like or noodles. Maybe put out a little advertisement, find some more people to join your, uh. Do like a LARPing join, battle in our back. <laughs> join your royal, royal coven. <laughs> oh boy. So. <laughs> that's good. I thought I, everybody enjoy that. I love my dad. He's amazing. <laughs> Uh, did you did you get a story together in these two weeks, or did we just, like, not? I'm, okay, here's the thing. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've had this story for, like, a month. <laughs> All done in research. I don't fucking remember what it is. So cool. It's so gonna be a surprise together. <laughs> for both of us. The only thing I remember is when I was researching, I couldn't think of a story to do or find one that I liked, and Dad goes, just Google. There's another Thomas pu- Good. Thomas Good? I don't know. Thomas Good. He's Hashtag like, just, Thomas Good. He's like, I wonder what the oldest cold case in america is and i googled it and this was the case that popped up i'm not saying that this is the old like it but this is what came up this is what came up when i googled that so this is the case story i'm doing all right you be the judge because it's from the 1950s and i feel like it's probably the oldest like documented as a cold case type of thing yeah maybe because i was like i feel like there's older cases than that but oh we've covered older cases than that i know but this is what Google said. So fuck off. <laughs> so fucking Google. Blame them. Blame them, not me. Okay. So, Maria Rydolph was born on March 12th in 1950 uh, to Michael and Francis Ivy Rydolph in Sycamore, Illinois. Ooh. That's always a, that's a fun word. Sycamore. Sica. Less? Sica. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I'm here. I'm in, I'm in it. <laughs> so she was the youngest of four children and had two sisters and a brother. Although most of the residents that lived or worked on the farms lived or worked on the farms in the area, her father worked at one of Sycamore's few factories, and her mother was a homemaker. Okay. So at the time, okay, this was an abduction slash murder case, by the way. So at the time that she was abducted, she was seven years old, forty four inches tall, and weighed fifty three pounds. So tiny. So she's a little gal. Uh, with brown hair and brown eyes. And she was an honor student in second grade. She also received an award for perfect Sunday school attendance at the Evangelical Lutheran Church of St. John. Aw, little thing. So according to her mother, Maria was very high strung and <laughs> described her as a screamer who was afraid of the dark. So it's just kind of odd that she was, when she was abducted, it was, she was like there and then disappeared. Right, she wouldn't have just been quiet. Uh, her best friend was eight-year-old Kathy Sigmund, who lived on the same street as the Rydolphs. And then on the so on the evening of December third, nineteen fifty-seven, 
she wanted to go outside and as it had started to snow to play in the snow. Okay. Uh, after yeah. finishing dinner, Maria and Kathy went outside in the dark near Maria's house and played a game called Duck the Cars. So they would run back and forth trying to avoid the headlights of oncoming cars in the street. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Seems like a legit game for young children to play. In the 1950s. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we used to play that, like, a game like that on 3rd Street, but it would be like we'd be playing in our front yard and we'd try to get back into the house before the car came by our street. You're not... Like, we weren't in the road. Yeah, I was like, but you're not in front of them and trying to avoid them in that sense. Right. <laughs> According to Kathy, they were approached by a man who Kathy later described to police as in his early 20s, tall, with a slender chin, light hair, a gap in his teeth, and wearing a colorful sweater. Kind of sounds so, like alfalfa. So like a gap tooth bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with gap teeth. There's just this guy. This guy, though. Gap tooth bitch. He's a gap tooth bitch. Okay. So the man <laughs> who said his name was Johnny told the girls that he was 24 and not married, which is a weird thing to tell little girls. You're not trying to pick them up on a date. Like, why are you Hi, are you I'm 24. That? I'm unmarried. Hi, I'm Johnny. I'm 24 and I'm unmarried. Cool, guy. Cool. Get out of here. Uh, he told, he asked if they liked dolls and if they liked piggyback rides. No, never. Nope. He gave Maria a piggyback ride after which she went back to her house and got a doll to show him. After me Maria returned, Kathy ran back to her house to get her mittens, leaving Maria alone with a man. When Kathy returned, Maria and the man were gone. So then Kathy went to the write-off house to tell them she couldn't find Maria the family initially thought Maria was hiding and sent Maria's 11-year-old brother to look for her. After he was unable to find her, the write-offs called the police, and within an hour, police and armed civilians began a search of the town, but failed to locate Maria or Johnny, the man with whom she had been last seen. Uh, the FBI, presuming that Maria might have been abducted across state lines, arrived in Sycamore within two days to help the local state and state police in the search. Okay. Uh... They interviewed numerous witnesses who had seen the two girls playing without any other person present between 6 p.m. and 6.30, and also spoke to a family members who had seen or spoken with Maria and Kathy in the course of Maria getting her doll and Kathy getting her mittens, and Kathy reporting Maria Maria's dis disappearance to the write-offs. Okay. Based on these interviews, Johnny was thought to have approached the girls after 6.30 p.m., and the FBI concluded that Maria was abducted between 6.45 and 7 p.m. Okay, so pretty fast in a right. very specific time. Yeah. Okay. So Kathy was the only witness who had seen Johnny and was placed in productive custody as the police and FBI feared that the kidnapper would come back and harm her. The thor authorities had told her to look at photos of convicted felons or suspects who were a resemblance to Johnny. Um, and then in late December of 1957, Kathy was taken to the Dane County Sheriff's Office in Madison, Wisconsin, to see a lineup of possible suspects. She positively identified Thomas Joseph Rivard, described in FBI documents as a 35-year-old man, approximately 5 foot 4 inches tall and 156 pounds. So he's also a little guy. <laughs> he's small. And his name's Johnny. Thomas Joseph. Well... He says Johnny. Um, with dark, blonde, wavy, bushy hair. Um, however, Rivard had an alibi as he was in jail at the time of the kidnapping. Police suspected someone else in the lineup as the real culprit, and Rivard was merely used to fill out the lineup. Okay. So, 
she didn't pick out any of the ones they thought would yeah. have been. Her disappearance received national news coverage and both President Eisenhower and FBI Director Ho- John Edgar Hoover uh, took a- an interest in the case. Law enforcement continued to investigate various suspects in the area, including transients, known sex offenders, and local men who had given children piggyback rides but developed no solid leads. How many fucking <laughs> local men were riding around giving people piggyback rides? That's, That's what I was just wondering. Like, how many people are you like, oh, he's known to give piggyback rides. We better go talk to hey, him. Hey, he's a raper. Get him out of there. <laughs> what? Why isn't this being questioned more? <laughs> God. Ugh. So... Uh, Maria's parents did appear on television and in other media pleading for their daughter's safe return and the public's help finding her. However, on April 26, 1958, near Woodbean, Illinois, two tourists searching for mushrooms in a wooded area along U.S. 20, Route 20 uh, discovered the skeletal remains of a small child wearing only a shirt, undershirt, and socks under a partially fallen tree. You know... I gotta say, that's one of the things that makes me, like, not as outdoorsy as I probably would want to be, is the fact that... How many bodies are just hanging out somewhere? Well, and it's all outdoorsy people that find them. They're like, oh, they were going for a hike, a run in the woods. They were doing whatever, and it's like, and stumbled upon it. that sounds fucking terrible anyway. And then add in a child's body? Get the fuck out of here. So... The rest of Maria's clothing, including her coat, pants, shoes, and an undergarment, were not found. No photographs were taken of the crime scene, although photos were taken of the general location without showing the body, because the coroner, James Furlong, did not want photos of the child's body leaked to the newspapers. I mean, I can see where they're coming from, but also, you gotta get the evidence taken, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I can see where he's like, I just don't want it to be a kid's body, like, yeah, posted everywhere. Because the crime scene had not occurred within, or had occurred within Illinois rather than crossing state lines, the FBI re- withdrew from the case, leaving it to state and local police. Which is also bullshit. Like, you're already here. Fucking help. Well, you that, dick. and it's like, they're not, state and local police are not prepared to deal with things that are that. Especially if it's like a small town. Yeah. Police for- like, don't be dicks. Okay. Come on, guy. Come on, FBI. Don't be a dick. They're like, we got other things to do. There's like 35 active serial killers at every second of the day. (laughs) You know what? I don't care. I don't care. We got a dead kid. Fucking excuses. (laughs) All I'm hearing is excuses and I'm not seeing any results. (laughs) So I'm sure this will get back to the FBI or FBI guy listening to us. is like, geez, stop lecturing me. I'm sorry. I can only do so much. I already work 12 hours a day. I do my best. (laughs) Okay. The initial autopsy did not determine a cause of death due to the state of decomposition. But during the autopsy done 50 years later, a forensic anthropologist found that Maria had been stabbed in the throat at least three times by a long, sharp blade, pointing out nicks in her sternum and neck vertebrae, consistent with at least three slashes to her throat. Icky. Uh, So, although stabbing was considered a likely cause of death, an appellate court later stated that the findings did not preclude other possible causes of death, such as ligature strangulation, mm-hmm. which could not be adequately investigated due to the decompos- comp- decomposition of soft tissue. Decomposition. Okay. <laughs> so that's okay. the case. Okay. And these are the suspects. I'm ready. Okay. So um, the day after her 
disappearance. Uh, investigators visited the home of John Tessier, a.k.a. Jack McCullough, home as part of their neighborhood search for Maria. According to Tessier's half-sisters, Catherine Tessier and Janine Tessier, their mother told the investigators that John Tessier had been home on the night of December 3rd, something that they later testified was not true. Okay. Shortly thereafter, before Maria's body was found... The FBI investigated Tessier as a possible sub- suspect. Uh, sources differ differ on whether the investigation was triggered from, by a tip from a local resident or by John Tessier's own parents seeking to clear their son, hmm. uh, who they realized had the same name as the gen- and general description as Johnny. Okay, so it may have been them just trying to... Yeah. Okay. So, Tessier and his parents told FBI investigators that on December 3rd, Tessier was in Rockford, Illinois, approximately 40 miles away, northwest of Sycamore, to enlist in the Air Force. This story differed from his mother's previous statement as their daughter stated that he had been home all night the night before. He had been in Chicago on December 2nd and 3rd, undergoing physical exams required for the enlistment. And then on the morning of December 3rd, they stated he had visited the Chicago recruiting station, which was corroborated by records. Mm -hmm. So he was in Chicago December 3rd in the morning. And then spent the day sightseeing in Chicago before returning to Rockford PM train that evening. And he arrived there at around 645 PM. Okay. Upon his arrival in Rockford, he stated he called his parents to ask for a ride home to Sycamore since he had taken the train to and from Chicago and he had left his own car at home. Telephone records were later found showing that the collect call was placed from the Rockford Post office to Tessier home at 6.57 p.m. that evening by someone who gave his name as John Tessier, which was written down by the phone operator. Okay. So after making that call, Tessier then met with officers from the Rockford recruiting station to drop off paperwork relating to his enlistment. The officers confirmed that they spoke with Tessier around 7.15 p.m. that evening, and although one of the officers also expressed some concerns about Tessier's credibility and con- conduct. Okay. So I don't know if he was just acting weird that night. Right, if he's like, I mean, he was off, he was there, but right. something was weird. Yeah. So Tessier was brought to the police station to take a lie detector test, which he passed. Okay. Uh, in view of his alibi and the lie detector test results, he was taken off the suspect list, and they closed out his report on December 10th, 1957. It stated, no further investigation is being conducted regarding the above suspect. Uh, Kathy Sigmund was never shown a photograph of him or was asked to identify him, and he left Sycamore for the next day to report for basic training at Lackland Air Force Base. He served in the U.S. military for 13 years and rose to the rank of captain. After leaving the service, he moved to Seattle, Washington, where he graduated from the King County Law Enforcement Academy and became a police officer in the small town of Lacey near Olympia, Washington. Uh, He later joined the police department in Milton, Washington, where he had run-ins with the chief of police who attempted to fire him and documented a long list of complaints about his work and conduct. Okay. And then in 1982, in Tacoma, Washington, Tessier took in a 15-year-old runaway, Michelle Weinman, and her friend who knew Tessier as a Milton police officer. Weinman later testified that shortly after she began living with Tessier, he fondled her and then performed oral sex on her. Uh, He was charged with statutory rape and after plea negotiations he eventually pled guilty to communication with a minor for immoral purposes which was a misdemeanor he is sentenced to one year of a formal probation and then was terminated from the police department all right 
And then in 1994, he legally changed his name to Jack Daniel McCullough, saying that he wanted to honor his late mother. Uh, and then in now in his early 70s, he was living at a retirement community in northwest Seattle where he worked as a security guard. So that was the first suspect okay. that they listed. Keep a pin in him because we're going to come back to him. Okay. And the other subject was William Henry Redmond. So in 1997, Sycamore Police... So they've been working on this case. I think it was the most... the oldest active case maybe mm. cold case that they're still running that would make sense i think that's what i mean if they're yeah. actively still looking at people in the 90s yeah when it happened in 57 56 56 yeah yeah so in 1997 sycamore police lieutenant patrick solar they actually closed the 40 year old riddle uh case naming william henry redmond a former truck driver and carnival worker from nebraska who had died in 1992 as the man who had likely abducted and killed Maria Rydolph. So okay. they closed it, naming him as the likely person. He had been charged in 98 with the 1951 murder of an eight-year-old Pennsylvania girl, although that case was dismissed when police officers refused to reveal the name of a confident, confidential informant. Redmond was also a suspect in the 1951 disappearance of a 10-year-old Beverly Plotz in Ohio. So this... It seems like it would make sense. Yeah. So, uh, however, the Patrick Soler's report was criticized due to lack of supporting evidence and alleged political motivations. He himself mm. acknowledged that the evidence against Red Redmond was circumstantial and that if Redmond had lived, it would have been difficult to convict him in the Rydolf case unless he confessed. For that reason, he called the Rydolf case closed but not solved. Okay. Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if it's literally just like, he has a pattern of this, he happened to be around this area at that time, and that's all they have. Right. So they left the possibility that a better suspect might later be found. The case was reopened in 2008 based on new information from... Okay. So the case was reopened in 2008 based on new information from McCullough's half-sister, Janet Tessier. According to Janet, their mother, Eileen Tessier, on her deathbed in January of 1994, had said... Those two little girls and the one that disappeared, John did it. John did it, and you have to tell someone. So mom said on her deathbed. Okay. And that was the mom that also said... He was with us. Yeah. Okay. So Janet took the statement as meaning that her half-brother, John Tessier, or Jack McCullough, had kidnapped and murdered Maria Rydolph. Uh, another of McCullough's half sisters, Pat. Mer Mary Sorry, <laughs> God I bless you, my child. No longer. <sighs> okay, Mary Pat Tessier, uh, who also was present when Eileen spoke to Janet, Janet, but later testified that she had only heard her mother say he did it. Nevertheless, she testified that she had the same understanding as Janet that her older sisters had suspected John Tessier of the murder for years. Okay, at the time. Eileen, who was a cancer patient, was on morphine and, according to her doctor, was disoriented. Tessier, who had allegedly had once threatened to kill Janet with a gun and sexually molested his half-sister Janine when she was a minor, was estranged from the Tessier family by the time of Eileen's death. So Jack McCullough had threatened, threatened Janet with a gun, sexually molested Janine, and... When she was a minor and was not a part and hadn't talked right, to the family. Right, they had basically, like, exiled him out of the family. And was actually told he was not allowed to attend her funeral. Well. 
So Janet Tessier said that she had made several fruitless attempts over the, the last 14 years to get law enforcement, including the Sycamore police and the FBI, Patrick Soler, to um, go over this case again. Right. Relook at it. Uh, Patrick Soler, who had identified William Henry Redmond as the most likely suspect in the Rydolph case, told CNN that Janet had never spoken to him, but that he would not have suspected John Tessier because he knew the Tessier family. Ralph Tessier had painted the Sycamore police cars, and John Tessier had been cleared by the FBI in 1957. Shh. Shh. Popularity sucks, huh? You probably got him, too. They're from Jesse. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> So, in 2008, Janet emailed an Illinois State Police tip line, resulting in the State Police Cold Case Unit undertaking a lengthy investigation into McCullough's background and alibi. Janet's sisters, Catherine and Janine, told investigators of their suspicions, and Janine told, said that John had molested her as a child and other young girls. Another woman alleged that John Tessier had given her a piggyback ride as a child and refused to put her down until her father intervened. Okay. State police investigators reviewed evidence and developed a new timeline under which Tessier could have kidnapped Maria, driven to Rockford in time to make a telephone call at 6.57 p.m., and met with a recruiting office at 7.15 p.m. Under this new timeline, they determined that Maria would have been kidnapped no later than 6.20 p.m. The police search for Maria was underway by 7 p.m., according to Catherine, who had returned home from a party at 7 p.m. to find the search in progress. Okay. So things were sooner than they thought it was. Yeah. Hoping to... Well, basically, they said if they were bumped up, like, 25 minutes, minutes yeah. it was possible. So, hoping... And, I mean, you're basing it off of two seven-year-old girls who ran right, in and like, out of the I house. Mean, and did you look at the clock? And did you really see what time it was? And Right. So, huh. hoping to have Kathy review a few photographic lineup police took five pictures from the 1957 sycamore high school yearbook but john tessier's picture was not in the yearbook as he had been expelled police obtained a contemporary photo of him from his former girlfriend which differed from the yearbook photos mm. in that tessier was wearing an open collar rather than a suit and the background was dark rather than light chapman identified the picture of tessier but it's the one picture out That's of all different. the other ones that are different so that's like that's definitely something that it's a leading. defense would be like. <laughs> right, you're leading this. You're leading the witness. So, along with the picture, Tessier's former girlfriend provided an unused military issued train ticket from Rockford to Chicago, dated December of 1957. The investigators took this to suggest that, contrary to Tessier's alibi, Tessier had not taken the train on his trip to Chicago and had instead driven his car there, meaning that he could have driven back to Sycamore after, on the afternoon of December 3rd, kidnapped Maria, and driven to Rockford. Oh. oh uh, the no. police... I mean, that, I mean it, that seems very convoluted, but... Yeah, but I mean, like... I mean, this shows that it could be a thing. But that shows planning. Uh-huh. And I feel like the abduction does not show planning. Well, exactly. It's kind of like a opportunity type of thing yeah. where the girls are just playing. It's like, hey, get on my back, kid. How could you know <laughs> that they were going to go outside and play that night at that time? Mm-hmm. You know? So huh. the police located a f uh, friend of Tessier who recalled seeing Tessier's distinctively painted car in Sycamore that afternoon and said that Tessier did not let anyone else drive his car. 
So it was either he was home, it was home, or he wasn't. I'm not, I'm not really sure what that, if that was in favor of Tessier, because he saw it in the town, or uh, if it was... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know what that leads you to believe, but his car was there. That was it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in July of 2011, the Seattle Police Department which had joined the Illinois State Police in the investigation, brought McCullough in for questioning using a professional interrogator due to McCullough's law enforcement experience. Okay. At first, McCullough spoke calmly and cooperated, but when faced with questions about the murder of Maria Rydolph and his his whereabouts on the night of the crime, he became evasive and aggressive. After McCullough refused to answer any more questions, he was arrested for the kidnapping and murder of Maria Rydolph and extradited to Illinois. Her body was exhumed the same month to check for DNA evidence, but none was found. Uh, news of the arrest, so that was when they did the other, and they mm-hmm. determined that she was probably cut. Her neck was cut, or she was strangu- strangulated. Right. She was she was stabbed Strang- three or more times in the neck. I said strangulated. That's not a word. Strangulated. <laughs> I mean, could be a word. Sounds like a word. So news of the arrest in this 54-year-old murder case drew national attention, obviously. The lead prosecutor uh, in DeKalb County State's attorney, Clay Campbell, was reluctant to take the case due to its age and the lack of any physical evidence connecting McCullough to the crime. But after being persuaded by the Rydolph and Tessier families, who all believed that McCullough was guilty, he formally charged McCullough with the kidnapping and murder of Maria. Okay. So, at the trial in September of 2012... That's so crazy. This is, yeah. This is, how many years is that? Do the math. Um, It was 56, 2012. That would be 56 years. Oh, yeah. I just fucking said that. Okay. Anyway. I, <laughs> I made you do it. I did it. I was like, wait a second. Oh, hold on. I unplugged my microphone. Ow. Oopsies. Ow. You've been reconnected. Okay. Anyway, what were we talking about? 56 years. (laughs) So at the trial in September of 2012, the prosecution contended that McCullough was attracted to Maria and decided to kidnap her, but instead ending up killing her, presenting the new autopsy report suggesting Maria was stabbed to death. Although the... had a gas bubble. Although the prosecutors suspected (laughs) McCullough of molesting Maria, they were unable to prove it had... And it had never been brought up in court. Mm-hmm. Numerous witnesses testified for the prosecution, including Maria's family members, neighbors, law enforcement personnel, and Kathy Sigmund Chapman, who was the star witness and identified McCullough as Johnny, the man who had walked up to her and Maria 50 years earlier. Another childhood friend of Maria's testified testified, <laughs> testified <laughs> that she had also been offered a piggyback ride from Johnny and identified him as McCullough. Three inmates who were jailed with McCullough testified that he talked about killing Maria. However, their stories were both inconsistent and failed to match the evidence indicating Maria had been stabbed. Okay. One inmate said McCullough spoke of strangling Maria with a wire, which okay. could also have accounted for the marks in her neck. Uh, mm-hmm. And another said McCullough accidentally smothered her to stop her from screaming. Okay. The defense argued that the prosecutors and police were pressured by the Rydolph and Tessier families to solve the case and implicate McCullough. 
Although there was no physical evidence, motive, or indication that McCullough was in the area when Maria was kidnapped, McCullough did not take the stand in his own defense on the advice of his attorneys. On September 14, 2012, McCullough was convicted of the kidnapping and murder of Maria Rydolph and received a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 20 years. He was 73 years old at the time of his sentencing. I just see her nose coming up <laughs> right to your face. Oh, Sophie Kins. 73. Yes. So, we're not done yet, though. McCullough appealed his convictions on February 13th of 2015. The Illinois Appellate Court upheld his murder conviction, but vacated his convictions for kidnapping and abduction of an infant as being outside the three-year statute of limitations in effect for those crimes in 1957. So, in 1957, the statute of limitations was three years. I mean, that's changed now, but they upheld right. those years from that, which is fucking dumb. Huh. So, in 2015, McCullough um, filed a petition for a post-conviction relief asking that his murder conviction be set aside. After McCullough's petition was initially dismissed by the court as frivolous and without merit, the public defender who had originally represented McCullough at the trial, who had continued to investigate the case while staying in touch with him, despite the fact that he was no longer appointed or getting paid, mm. asked the court to reconsider the dismissal. So this guy really believed that he didn't do right. it. Right. He filed a successive motion that could not be denied without hear a hearing from the state's attorney's office. In response to those motions, DeKalb County State's attorney Richard Schmack, <laughs> his name, Schmack? Schmack, uh, who had replaced Clay Campbell in that position, conducted an extensive review of the evidence, which led him to conclude that McCullough could not have committed the crime and was actually innocent because all of the actual proof that they had showed him as not being there mm -hmm. and all of the circumstantial proof that they were throwing at him could have linked him to it could have but there was no actual evidence nothing definitive definitive whatsoever. showing him that he wasn't where he said he was but he had actual physical proof saying he was there because the records show he was in chicago and they show he was here and they <sighs> show he was there so Poor old man. I know. Well. But, I mean, he's not necessarily innocent because yeah, he also molested a little kid. I was so, just I mean, going to say, well, I don't feel that bad. Right. Um, just because he may be innocent of this crime doesn't mean he wasn't innocent of other crimes. But like, it, he molesting shouldn't get sister, convicted for you know. this crime. Right. Um, so, according to Schmack, evidence <laughs> was kept out of the trial that clearly established McCullough's whereabouts on the evening of Maria, Maria Rydolph's abduction and supported his alibi. So they, like, kept evidence or withheld evidence right. that supported his alibi. Uh, in particular, phone records from the Illinois Bell showed that McCullough made a collect call to his mother that evening from a payphone in downtown Rockford rather than from Sycamore, as alleged at his trial. Given the timing of the telephone call, the approximately 40-mile distance between Sycamore and Rockford and icy road conditions... He concluded that McCullough could not possibly have been in Sycamore at the time of Maria Rydolph's disappearance. Okay, so... So he was 40 miles away around the time that she disappeared, making a collect call. So there is, like, real proof that mm -hmm. he was not there. Right. So, following a March 2016 court hearing on April 15th, 2016... Uh, they vacated McCullough's original conviction and sentence and ordered a new trial. Who re he re McCullough remained charged with the crime, was released on bond that day pending the new trial. Okay. 
A week later, they dismissed the charges against McCullough. However, the dismissal of the murder charge was without prejudice, meaning that McCullough could be tried again for the murder of Maria Rydolph, should a prosecutor wish to do so. He postponed ruling on a request by Maria's brother, Charles Rydolph, backed by the signatures of hundreds of Sycamore citizens, including the city's mayor, that a special prosecutor should be appointed to replace Schmack on McCullough's case. But... (laughs) Because he didn't... Because he didn't say that... He he uh, didn't feel that... The, yeah. They wanted to replace the dude who was reviewing the case because they f- felt he was being prejudiced. Because he was reviewing the fucking evidence. Because and the he evidence, looked, like, this just makes no sense. Like, it's dumb. Oh my gosh. that's That pisses me off. So, he... McCullough was actually declared innocent of the crime by the DeKalb County Circuit Court on April 12th, 2017... And the case is still considered unsolved. Oh my gosh. Well, at least it was, like, officially declared that he would... Because clearly he's yeah. innocent. And they just wanted to have somebody pay for it. That's just... Like, I get it. That's, like, that, s- that's 60 years later. Yeah. But, and it's still, like, 2017. That's ridiculous. Not ridiculous. It's cool that they have still stayed on it this long. Because right. most cold cases are just, like, shut and buried in a back room. But but the fact that they, like, rode on... Rode this... This sounds weird. Rode this guy for that long. <laughs> they rode him hard and put him up wet. Even though... <laughs> uh, even though they had evidence, basically, from the beginning saying that it didn't make sense that he would be there, but they changed timelines to make it make sense. Yeah. They changed, like... Come here, baby. Wow. Come here. Come here. Hi, Sophie. Come here. Come on. Get up here. Oh, she's, oh, she's a baby. Oh, she's a baby. Hi's a baby. Amanda hates it when I talk to her in baby voice. I hate baby talk. Listen, she gets so scared and nervous. See, look at her. She's, like, terrified because I have a microphone. So I have to talk in baby voice to get her to come to me. Come here. No, or, she's, like, she's like, fuck you. That's she's scary. like, or I'm fine. I just don't want to come to you. <laughs> no, that's not the case. You're such a bitch. <laughs> All right. Should I should we just she's keep... She's looking at me over the chair. Should we just keep... <laughs> she's like... See? She's scared. <laughs> over the chair (laughs) uh anyway so that is my case and it was really interesting i'm glad i I did hear a very like what it what would it be compact version of the case Mm -hmm. on one of those youtube things that i've watched that's why i was like I think I've heard this before, and then I got panicked that one of us had done it before, and I was like, the name doesn't sound familiar. I don't think that's it, but they, and then I saw this picture because I had to look it up because I was like, how does this sound familiar? Um, I saw that picture, and that's the one that they had on the video, and I was like, okay, I remember now. Yeah. But it was, like, not in detail like that. It was just basically a, and it's still unsolved. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's my story. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? Is it your favorite thing in the world? It was, a weird it was good. No. It was a weird question to ask you about a kidnapping story. Um, it was. It was. It was very interesting. One of those that was like, "Wow, oh wow, okay, well that doesn't, you know, like it was every decade that they brought it back up. I was right. like, 
Oh, I guess that would make sense. 96, 2005, yeah. 2015, 2018. Like, I was like, every time they bring I'm like, oh, I guess that, that would make sense mm-hmm. if that happened. But then it's like, at the end, it's that, but they have a collect call they have that says it's not possible. Military record showing he was in the office. And like, it's like, okay, yeah. So I don't you're know. Right. I don't know. He, I mean, did he do it? I mean, I'm sure there's a possibility that something, maybe something, something happened, but Could there's the physical. That I wouldn't like... be surprised. Honestly, it sounds kind of like his thing because he, in different areas, same age-ish girls, mm-hmm. same idea. Yeah. Um. So I've been like on and off working on this for the last like three weeks now. Three weeks? Yes. And it ended up being really long, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you some mini stories. It's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. It's a and two-parter. then Amanda loves two-parters. I do. What? what? I don't why really know that... how... I don't what? know how to take that. Why did that sound dirty? But I don't know how. in that sentence was dirty. I like to finish later, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Not bill-approved. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you some I of the hit that stage. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, Steph Curry. When I hit the three, <laughs> you are so white. <laughs> and my like, whoa is like, I like how your whoa is like you're trying to dodge traffic. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> uh oh, there's a bike. <laughs> I'm sitting in a recliner. You can't really get the good, but you. <laughs> It's not even just that. You got blade hands. <laughs> Barbie hands. You're like. <laughs> There's this no like. Strong <laughs> I want chili. I know. Let's okay. read this so we can eat chili. Yeah. <laughs> Tom made chili. Tom. We're gonna eat it. Oh, yum, yum. He made, and it's spicy chili. It's spicy. It's not, like, super spicy, though. Like, he put in one packet of hot and one packet of mild. Better not be super spicy or it's gonna kick up my heartburn. Because <laughs> I'm Okay, old. Grandma, that's why people think you're old. <laughs> well, I got heartburn, okay? <laughs> Jeez! <laughs> I can't eat spicy things. I like them. My it just hurts me. Her poor little Norwegian tummy just can't handle it. I know. It. You know, I can't help it. All right. Very Scandinavian. Salt and pepper. <laughs> right. Salt, pepper, and onions. That's my spice. And onions are like sweet. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. All right. So, tell me your story. I'm going to tell you about the curse of the little rascals. Yeah. <laughs> Laugh about it. No. You know, who's your favorite little rascal? Alfalfa. I was going to say, I bet it's Spanky. <laughs> or Spanky. Sinner. <laughs> You're a sinner. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry Dear for Alfalfa. <laughs> I hate your stinking guts. It's Darla. You're the... Oh, dear Darla. I hate your stinking guts. You make me vomit. You're scum between my toes. Love, Alpha. Alpha. <laughs> she smashes the empty can. Hey, guys. In case you don't know, we like 
the movie Little Rascals. That was like a staple when we were little. <laughs> all right. But this is more about the Our Gang original Little Rascals from oh. like the 30s, 40s, 50s. Aww. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I can't. But stop. that's what Little Rascals is based off of. Okay. So same like characters kind of. Is Spanky one of them? Yeah. Spanky, <sighs> Alfalfa. Oh, yeah. And there's a couple other ones because it went for years yeah. and years. But so on September or in September of 1922, the first short film of the Our Gang series was released. Um, it was one of the most successful comedy franchises in comedy history. So it genuinely like. It hit right when TV was getting to be a big thing Mm -hmm. and movies and moving pictures and whatever. And then they started doing talkies. Yep. And it was like a hit. A hit. A hit. It was all about a group of kids from a poor neighborhood and their daily adventures. The creator, Hal Roach, and uh, the creator was Hal Roach, and there were about 220 short films made with 167 children child actors children actors made from 167 children (laughs) frankenstein those bitches uh (laughs) frankenstein those bitches so uh, this was in uh 1922 so but then in 1955 80 of the short films which were talkies like i said uh broadcasted on tv as the little rascals so that's when they started being known as the little rascals a much better name right i agree uh and throughout throughout there were uh there was talk of a curse knowing that like a handful a good amount of these kids that participated in the our gang movies had like young deaths or ultimately untimely deaths or bad luck in everything else they did basically okay so first in 1936 norman chenny so now i'm just gonna tell like she's just gonna list off how people died either how they died or like why they consider them cursed or the story of them so first norman chenny who was chubby (laughs) in 19 of the films he was just, died. He was chubby only in 19 of them, though. And all the other films, he was just a normal weight. That was his character name. Oh. Chubby. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just Thank throw, you. <laughs> Thank you. I just had to throw a dad joke in there. Uh, I know. You try to make him land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he was chubby in 19 of the films. And at the age of 21, he died of complications after an operation. Uh, William Rob- <laughs> Robert, it says robbery. <laughs> I misspelled. I because you can't thing. spell, does it make you mad? Uh, no, I did this on my phone, so like autocorrect randomly will do mm-hmm. weird shit. And I'm like, oh, that means Robert. <laughs> uh, William Robert Laughlin, who was Froggy, quotation names. Oh, fro- oh from, Froggy. Right? Exactly. Froggy. <laughs> Because I sound like I got a frog in my throat. <laughs> uh, he was froggy from 1940 to 1944, which is when they finished like filming. Yeah, the uh, Our Gang series films. Uh, he was 16 when he died in a scooter accident. I'm sorry, that's not funny. It's just the word scooter. Scooter. Just... 
died in a scooter accident. Uh, Bobby Hutchinson, who was Weezer from 1927 to 1933. It is kind of wild to me to think that all of these were filmed in like the 20s and 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. That seems so long ago in my like brain that it doesn't make sense that there was like film. A hundred years. A hundred years. A hundred years. Oh boy. Okay. Anyway, so oh boy, he was training to be a pilot in the army in 1945 and died after a collision mid-air during training. And he was only 20 years old at the time. Oh, he made a mistake, huh? Right. Ugh. Uh, These are just what. I'm such a bitch. I know, you keep making jokes after all of these young children's <laughs> deaths. 16, 20, 21. <laughs> You're like, her. Scooter. <laughs> uh, so these are just a few of the deaths of cast members that were young, and a majority of them died in accidents or from health complications all before the age of 60. Like... 16? 60. Oh. So they're... None of it was really, like... It's all just random. Yeah. Like, it's it's just, not, like, it's growing old and dying of old age or mm-hmm. a health issue from old age. It's just, like, they were shot. They got in an accident. They had a random condition that all and of a sudden they passed the out and died. The only thing that connects them all is that they were all a part of this franchise. Exactly. Which is fucking weird. So, we're going to go on for a couple more uh, random curse stories. Okay. So, Harold Switzer was born in 1925 in Paris, Illinois. Uh, And his brother, Carl, was born about two and a half years later, okay? So, in 1934, their family was on vacation in L.A., and they visited the Hal Roach Studios, the um, creator of our gang. And they toured and then stopped in the cafeteria to eat, because I guess the cafeteria was open to, like... uh, Almost as if it was a restaurant, like you could come in and the public could come and eat there. Okay. Uh, there were, that's where the boys began to sing and dance and just, I think they were trying to get the attention of somebody, mm-hmm. you know, so the kids started to sing and dance and Hal Roach did see this and he was really impressed with them. And so he offered them roles in the R Gang films. So this is in 1934. Okay. So Harold was deadpan and then he was slim. Like he was a couple different characters throughout the mm-hmm. amount of the films that they were in. And Carl was the infamous Alfalfa. Alfalfa. Alf Alpha. That's how I always remember to Alf spell Alpha. Alfalfa. Alf Alpha. Uh their first film was Beginner's Luck and it was released in February of nineteen thirty five. Quickly, Alfalfa became a fan favorite and became one of the main characters in the series. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everybody knows Alfalfa's name. Um, I would say he's still the most recognizable character in yeah. The Little Rascals. Harold's character was, wasn't was as popular, and he slowly fell into the background. So his brother fell into the background and appeared in 30 of the films. Um, but then after that, he just kind of quit the industry. He didn't pursue acting at all it just wasn't his thing uh carl was in two times as many films as his brother he was in like 60 something films which is wild to me um but anyway so he was in twice as many films as his brother 
and at the age of 12, he left the series. Unlike Harold, Carl continued continued to act, but soon found he was typecast because of his role. Mm -hmm. Alfalfa. When you become a character like that, it's hard Mm -hmm. to break out of that mold. Right. So... After years of minor film roles, he tried to get into the TV industry and still had very little success. Uh, Couldn't get anything that wasn't more than just like a guest spot, basically. Mm -hmm. When he was an adult, he had worked, he was working multiple jobs because he didn't make enough money with the like small roles he was getting. Plus, he was receiving no residual income from the Our Gang series. So when they launched it as a tv show in the contracts he did not get any money basically from oh that sucks relaunching it and the money they were making when that happened that's what i say is bs but then at the same time like they didn't know that it was gonna end up being Mm -hmm. a thing so they probably were like whatever yeah you know um so in 1954 at age 27 carl went on a blind date with a woman named her name is weird. It's like Diantha, Dianthea, Diantha. God bless you. I know. It's weird. There's like TH and it's Diane, but it's in the middle of it. Dianthea. Um, <laughs> it's Christineth. Are you blind or are you deaf or just stupid? <laughs> That's no different than me for how many years of my life? Christina? No. Persephone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have always, when I've been reading that in my head... Like, reading through Greek mythology, <laughs> pronounced it as Persephone. That's not her fucking name. And then I'm watching Criminal Minds, and they're talking about something with Greek mythology, and she says Persephone. I'm like, who the fuck is Persephone? And I went, <gasps> <gasps> And then a few days later, she goes, how do you pronounce this? I just I'm wanted like, to Persephone? see if I was, and I she was goes, like, damn it! Damn it! <laughs> it's just me not knowing how to fucking read sometimes. <laughs> You're just a very literal reader. I told you, sometimes I, I when I read things, I use all, I pronounce all the letters. Bologna, champagne, I'm like, it, you're a very literal reader, and that's fine. <laughs> Except for when you read things weird. <laughs> yeah. Bologna. Bologna. So her name was Diantha Collingwood. Uh, it went very well, obviously, because three months later they got married. Oh, he probably knocked her up. Uh, I don't know. Uh, not long after that, Carl stopped pursuing acting and moved to Diantha's family farm in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Uh, so he might have knocked her up because he was, she was pregnant by the time they were moving to Wisconsin. So. Yep. That's what happens when you knock someone up in the, (laughs) in the fifties. Not long, right. Not long after that, uh, Carl was telling his friends that he was planning to be a farmer, but he had no experience at all. Like, you can't just jump into it. You can't just be a farmer. You gotta, like, know things. And it was much more physical than he's used to doing. He was an actor. Calm down, alfalfa. Exactly. It's like, buddy, no, you're not gonna get up at four fucking o'clock in the morning to go haul shit everywhere. No. He was... It's been just too nice for him. Pipe down, pretty boy. Right? Uh, Diantha... Gave birth to their son in not long after they got there. So I get you. I bet you he did knock her up oh, like right away. Um, and then in Called 1957, it. they got divorced. Oh, because you know he just the didn't fit into the Wisconsin. Yeah, 
just wasn't his thing. Listen, Wisconsin isn't for everybody. That's any of the any of these like Midwestern states. Not for everybody. I'm you just know? saying Wisconsin specifically. <laughs> I'm a little bitter. <laughs> oh boy, you, you, you. She's just mad because the Vikings lost. I mean, if that was the case, I'd be mad all the time. Wait yeah, a well, minute. I'm mad at everybody Wait all the a time. Minute. Is that the reason? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hold on. This is a life-altering moment. <laughs> Uh, so after they divorced, he moved back to L.A. Carl got a supporting role in a movie, uh, Defy Ones. Uh, filming was wrapped up in 1959, and he began looking for his next job. He was a bartender, and he worked at Roy Rogers, who just happened to be his godfather. <laughs> but So he w- worked at Roy Rogers' uh, bear hunting business, so I guess he... <laughs> I guess Roy Rogers owned this big plot of land that he basically had celebrities pay to go bear hunting in. (laughs) So basically he, Carl was a maintenance worker there. So he'd run the trails and like make sure things were put together, make sure, you know, because it was for celebrities, I'm guessing they kind of planted it to make it so they got the bear. Yeah. So I'm guessing... His job was to make sure that it was going to happen. They were going to get a bear. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogers owned this bear. Nothing sounds fun about that. Hunting a hobbled bear? Yeah. It just doesn't seem like a challenge. You I know? mean, if you're going to hunt, you need to do it with a spear. Uh, <laughs> Carl was also a guide, so he would bring them out to their hunting trips, oh, too. I thought you said guy, and I was like, I fucking know that. What? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I got that. He had a kid, like I'm I'm aware. <laughs> so for this job, he had borrowed a friend's dog to run with them so that he could have like a tracking mm-hmm. dog. But it wasn't his dog, it was just someone he that he knew he'd bring out. No, he doesn't get eaten by a bear. Damn it. That would have been exciting. Um But one day the dog ran away when they were doing their uh Yeah guiding and whatever and so he put up posters to try to find the dog because he obviously he felt bad um he put posters up about the missing dog and a couple days later a man called carl saying that he had found the dog uh he asked the man to bring the dog to the bar that he was working at and he paid him 30 dollars and gave him 15 dollars in free drinks to give him back the dog basically (laughs) yeah give me my dog dick right so Carl was already broke. Mm-hmm. Like, he was already, like, on the brink of poverty, not having anywhere to be. And at the same time as all this is happening is when the Our Gang Films gets booked onto TV as okay. Little Rascals. So it just, like, knife in the wound. Uh, Elf Alpha soon became a favorite TV character. Which was him. And Carl got none of mm-hmm. No proceedings towards it. And he's like, "I this is me. Why can't I get any money? Right? So this show generated millions of dollars in revenue. Millions. Fucking Hollywood, man. I know. It's Old Hollywood was the fucking worst. Worst. I mean, new Hollywood's not that much greater. But But I'm saying, like, old Hollywood, when you read those stories, that Mm -hmm. it was just, like, out in the open, all this shit like, was happening. Yeah, Judy Garland. Yeah. Oh my god, her life was fu- Shirley Temple. Yeah, I was just gonna say Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all fucking crazy. Um. Anyway, so Carl got this dog back, right? He paid a decent amount of money 
in the 50s. Mm-hmm. $30? For his meager yeah. amount that he... And $15 in free drinks, so he had to cover that at the end of his shift. Bucks, yeah. Um, so, for his, like, meager living, that was a lot. And now he had to watch himself on TV as Alfalfa, knowing that he wasn't getting a cent for it happening. Uh, uh, he I began. This is going. He began to drink a lot. <laughs> Like, a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, While in this stressed state, he began thinking that Moses, his friend who had borrowed him the dog, well, his last name was Moses. I can't remember his first name. Um, But he believed that he should have been the one who paid for the dog to get Uh. given back. And he harbored a lot of anger about this. So, on January 21st of 1958, Carl and his friend Jack Pyatt were drinking together. They decided they would go collect the money from Moses for Mm. Carl. No one really knows exactly what happened after that, um, but there are three different versions of the story that I'll get into. All that is definitively known is that they got to Moses' house, and when the cops got there after they were called, Carl had been shot in the crotch. (laughs) Right in the dick, huh? Right in the dick. Oh, you shot him in the dick. Well, yeah, you do it. I, I just threaten it. I never do it. I never do it. Well, don't make me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> you actually shot him in the dick? <laughs> the heat. Such a uh, that's so funny. You sh- uh, oh, you shot him in the dick. <laughs> so, Carl, when he got to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. He had, like, blood, blood out, out and died. From the dick? Uh, yep, yeah, right. That, ouch. He was only 31 when he died. Mm. All this shit happened by the time he was our age. Yeah. Uh, My age. Moses, the guy who they came to collect the... (laughs) She's looking me up. Collect the the money from had a black eye, and Carl's friend who went with him, Jack Pyatt, had not a scratch on him. He was outside when the police got there. So Moses' story is that the men came to the door... And they began to pound on it, and they were yelling for him to open the door, or they're just going to knock it down, just freaking out outside the door. So Moses opens the door, and he could tell that the men were drunk. He's like, I could smell it. They were slurring. Obviously, they were drunk. Uh, The men came inside, and Carl demanded $50 to reimburse him for the recovery of his dog. Um, I totally did, like, the math for today's money, and Mm -hmm. it was, like, $440 Yeah, that he would have basically paid to get that dog back. So, like, I get that it's a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but... You also lost it. Dude. So, right, that's my thought, is it's like, you were responsible for the dog when it got lost, so... Uh, Moses said that they began to argue, and Jack Pyatt hit him in the head... With a one of those dome glass clocks. Ow. Um, and that's why he had the black eye, because he mm-hmm. had hit him in the face with it. And uh, Moses then ran to his dresser and retrieved his thirty eight caliber revolver. Um, Carl then tried to fight the gun away from him, and during the struggle, the gun went off, shooting the ceiling with no wounds. And then Carl got a hold of the gun. Then Moses wrestled it back. And at this point, Moses says that Carl pulled out a switchblade and threw it at him, and Moses just fired a shot in defense, like, mm-hmm. panic fired, which is why it wasn't well yeah. targeted. Shot him in the dick. Um, and hit him in the junk, is what I wrote. 
<laughs> Hit him in his twigs and berries, man. <laughs> in the twigs and berries. Uh, there was a penknife found on the floor of the crime scene near where uh, Carl was collapsed, mm-hmm. but it was closed. So okay, they don't really know exactly. It just seems what it... like it was a chaotic. Yeah, you know, it's scene. What, and I that's what I wonder is that if all of these stories are kind of true, but when things happen, your brain kind of doesn't mm-hmm. take in everything all at once. Uh, then there's Jack's story. It was pretty close to the same, but the main difference is that Moses, Moses didn't act in self-defense. He claimed that Carl was shot when he was unarmed, that he hadn't pulled anything out, that Moses okay. just shot him. Um the only reason that Jack got out without a scratch is that he begged for his life after that happened. He was like, don't kill me. Don't. Oh. Don't that's shoot me why... in the dick, man. Right. And he's like, and that's why he didn't shoot me is because I like begged him to just right. not hurt me. Um, 42 years later, the third oh. version came out uh, in 2001. What was the third version? I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell you right <laughs> now. Who in 2001. Did it who did it... Uh, Tom Kerrigan. That was the next oh, word. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Who was 56 at the time, was interviewed and said that Tom was... So, okay. Tom Ker- Corrigan was Ray Crash Corrigan's son. <gasps> the stent man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and Moses was actually his stepfather because his mom had married Moses. Okay. After they parted ways so tom claims that he was in the house that night and that his stepfather had murdered carl he like no he just shot him it wasn't that he was self-defense he was he just shot him okay um saying that carl knocked on the door claiming that he was from the western union trying to get moses to come to the door without wondering but moses knew his voice okay and that's when moses moses stilts is his name. I was like, uh, just pop into my head. So that's when Moses Stilts grabbed his gun and went to the door and let Carl in. So he had the gun when he let Carl in. He didn't run okay. for it because he thought he felt threatened. Um, and they fought over the gun. It did shoot the ceiling during the struggle. And Tom said he knows this because a piece of the plaster actually hit him when it hit the ceiling and broke a piece off. It hit him in the leg. Oh, shit. So he's like, I obviously paid attention to it. Um, Tom says that at that point, his sisters ran to the neighbors to go get help. And he also was about to leave the house. But before he was leaving, he said that Carl had told Jack they should go. They should go. But as Tom was walking out of the door, he heard a second shot, turned around and saw Carl slump against the hallway wall where he was found. Okay. Um, But... Next to him on the floor was the unopened penknife. So it looked more like, in Tom's eyes, it looked more like he fell and it fell out of his pocket when he slumped over. Not that he pulled it out on Moses. Um, So he believes that... Oh, I just said that. (laughs) I said it before I read it. (laughs) Well, either way, it just sounds like there was chaotic drunken Mm -hmm. fighting and... Somebody got shot in the dick. Right. And and that's when Tom saw Moses turn the gun on Jack, the other friend, right? And Jack begged for his life. And when Tom's mother, that's when Tom's mother, like, 
Moses's wife mm-hmm. stepped in between them and it was like, "All right, all right." Yeah, like and Jack left the house. And you that's already why he shot was one outside. guy in the dick tonight. Let's just call it good. Right, it's K guy. You're getting a little out of hand here. Um, so Tom was asked to testify about his story, and he agreed, but never actually was able to because Moses was dead, so there was mm-hmm. no prosecuting him. Um, fun fact, though, every Christmas until his death, he got a card in the mail signed from Elfie. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. But they have no idea who the sender was to this day. I don't like that. So it makes me wonder if, like, Jack Pyatt or someone who knows of it and knows what happened was like, I'm going to creep you the fuck out yeah, for the rest until of your Until you die, life. <laughs> you're going to be creeped out. So... Anyway, back to the day after the murder, now that we got that story under whatever. The next day, Moses Stiltz was booked under suspicion of murder, and for days later, he testified and said, I'm sorry, and for days later, he testified on what he said happened. Okay, so Moses stuck to his story, basically. I was like, that makes no sense. That (laughs) sentence is very redundant. Uh, It was decided that he acted in self-defense and the charges were dropped. Okay. Carl Switzer died the same day as director C.B. DeMille, which is the one who did, like, um, the Ten Commandments and... Ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is him. Um, So he died on the same day. So, like the rest of his life, he received little to no recognition for his life work. Oh, that's so depressing. I know. Even when he died, it was, like, all about this other guy's death and barely anything about him. Okay. So, poor guy. Carl's brother, Harold, now. You ready? Oh, is this how he dies? (laughs) This is such an uplifting story. Continue. I know. I'm just going to continue on with the heartfelt feelings. Uh, So, Carl's brother, Harold, also had a cursed life. Harold owned a laundromat with his friend when he was in his 40s, a man named Michael Izzo. Okay. They argued constantly, people said. Okay. And their partnership was described as turbulent. Were they butt buddies? No. No. It. So Harold, <laughs> as far as I could tell, he was married and stuff. I don't think they were butt buddies. I think they were just trying to make money <laughs> but they might have been i don't fucking know <laughs> I just, um i hear turbulent and i think emotional you know well it is pretty emotional so <laughs> april 14th 1967 eight years after carl's death uh harold and izzo were drinking together at izzo's father's house they got into a heated argument and harold shot izzo multiple times killing him hey Don't do that. (laughs) Within hours, Harold shot himself in Glendale, California as well. So he shot him, panicked, left, felt guilty, shot himself. Well, that escalated quickly. Yep. 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 (laughs) Uh, Let me see how many more. Oh, I got quite a ways before my stop sign, which is where the last big story ends. All right. All right. Well, keep going. Oh, shit. Now I got to find where I was. Okay, there we are. Then there's Scott Beckett. <laughs> Who's Scott Beckett? Ready for some more terrible stories of child actors. <laughs> Who's Scott Beckett, Amanda? Tell me more. He was, he was born October 29th in Oakland, or October 1929. In Oakland? 
in Oakland, California. Oh, there we go. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. At three, he was visiting his father in the hospital, and Beckett sang his dad a song to cheer him up. Aww. He was overheard by a producer who told his parents that he should try to make it in movies because he's a very talented child. Aw, what was his character? So he first... We'll get there, girlfriend. Relax. Girlfriend. <laughs> he first landed... First role he landed was in Gallant Woman, or Gallant Lady, where Roach saw him and hired him for our gang. So okay. it was... He wasn't, like, a huge role in it, but he was a kid in it, and he's like, you kid, you got Spock. Is that your old-time movie director? Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Beckett starred in 15 of the films... As Spanky. Oh my god, I love Spanky. <laughs> I'm he... just kidding. He was Spanky's best friend. But oh, he wasn't a Spanky. No, he wasn't Spanky. I don't think Spanky had anything crazy happen to That's him because he didn't come up in any of my stuff. Spanky. That's because he was just. Spank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so he left our gang in 1935 and he continued to act as a teen. He played a uh, young Alibaba in the film. Alibaba. <laughs> Alibaba and, and the 40 Thieves. Exactly, and the 40 Thieves. Now Alibaba had 40 Thieves. Sorry. He was also <laughs> Rocky Jones in Space Ranger, which I guess was a popular TV show. I don't know. These things, like, I looked him up and I was like, I know I've heard, but I've never, like, actually I'm seen sure any Tom of I'm sure Tom Tom could tell you all about it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but it seems the older that he got, the harder it was to get work. I'm going to be honest with you. He was a cute kid. Not so cute adult, huh? But his face got weird. He like reverse Neville Longbottom. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the um, worst. <laughs> so in the early 1950s, he began to drink heavily and do drugs. Seems oh. to be a resounding theme of I don't know if child this is actors. a curse or just so much as like just Hollywood in general, normal childhood actor right? problems. Right. And that's what I mean. I'm like... So in February of 1954, the police were called to an L.A. hotel. Uh, The night clerk had been robbed by an armed man. They found Beckett asleep in the shower in the basement of the hotel. (laughs) Yep. When his car was searched, they found a loaded rifle. Beckett denies robbing the clerk. He said that he had just been driving for a very long time and was exhausted, so he pulled into the hotel and found a place for him to sleep for free. He didn't want to get an actual room. Mm -hmm. Um, The clerk had ID'd Beckett as the robber, so he didn't get, or couldn't ID Beckett as the robber. I'm like, that was weird wording. This was me typing and, like, not paying attention. Um, So he didn't get charged with the robbery, but he was charged with violation of a gun control law, so he posted $2,500 in bail and was released. Um, Right after that, he flew his wife, his son, and himself to Mexico. That seems legit. Um, In Topeka... In Tampico, Mexico, Beckett wrote three fake checks and cashed them and then left the city. The Mexican police tracked him down and went to question him. When they got there, uh, the three tried to flee from the police, the family. You don't do that in Mexico, man. Uh, They'll fuck you up. Uh, When he was cornered, Beckett open-fired on the chief of police And a gunfight broke out, exchanging at least 20 shots. The family somehow got away, and no one was hurt in the gunfight. Oh, so they were just all stormtroopers? I... (laughs) Right? (laughs) Pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. 
Uh, <laughs> it just makes me think of that alarm where you have to shoot it. Yeah. And that meme that was just like a stormtrooper's worst nightmare. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so anyway, 25 miles away, the car, the car the family was driving got a flat tire. Great. And Beckett was arrested. He was sentenced to a year in prison in Mexico, oh. only serving six or four months, though. Um, then Beckett went back to L.A. and was given probation for the weapons charge because he never actually he just poised the bail and, and took off. Yeah. So in 1964, Beckett got into an argument with his 14 year old stepdaughter over using the phone. <laughs> That's all. It didn't give details on who was using it, why they got into a fight over it, but they got into a fight over using the a phone. Typical teenage fight. Right. So I'm assuming she was on it too much or something. So Beckett cussed her out and pulled her hair. What he a also bitch. right. He also had an argument with her a few weeks later and hit her over the head with a crutch. Hey, hey, knock it off! <laughs> Don't do that. He pleaded guilt. Well, he was charged with battery, and then he pleaded guilty guilty to a lesser charge and was given three years probation. Um, not long after that, he attempted suicide by swallowing thirty sleeping pills. He survived after being rushed to the hospital. Survived. survived. The way I said that, he I survived. Like, <laughs> I was like, did I just... Um, after being rushed to the hospital. And then three years later, at the age of 38, he's doing all this by 38. Jesus. Uh, Beckett checked himself into a nursing home because he had suffered a severe beating. A apparently, nursing home? Apparently that's what you did. I don't know. Uh... It's weird, but okay. Uh, he didn't say who had beaten him, and no one knows to this day what happened, but it is widely believed that he was beaten over a drug deal gone wrong, which mm-hmm. is why he didn't want to say. And two days after he checked himself in, 38-year-old Our Gang actor was found dead in his room. He, they believe that he may have... <coughs> purpose- Sorry. You're, I mean, you're fine. I get it. I sneezed. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they believe that he may have purposely overdosed on barbiturates while he was there um, or possibly had just died of aftermath from the wounds of the beating. But no cause of death would was able to be determined. So it was something that they couldn't Weird. trace. So I'm not really sure what if the they fuck just didn't happened. Do an autopsy or just right? Like I don't know. Did they do just a preliminary like look at him type of autopsy mm-hmm. where it's like we're not going to dig into this much? Um, even the dogs in the series seem to have had a hard time. No, I had to add no, this because you didn't. yeah. No. So Pal the Wonder Dog was the first dog, <sighs> and he played Pete the pup. They beat them? No. He was called Pete the Pup. Oh, he actually was I, the second highest paid actor on the show, and I he was a dog. I thought you said they beat the pup. And I was no. Like, Jesus. <laughs> Don't uh, be so nonchalant about animal abuse, you asshole. <laughs> Jesus. You just laughed about multiple children dying. <laughs> they weren't all children. They're a, a 16-year-old, a 20-year-old, and 21-year-old. You're right. They're not children. They're not. The 16-year-old's the only child. Lord. Lord almighty, give me strength. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, he played Pete the Pup, and before this, um, before his part in our gang, he was the Wonder Dog, um, featured in a series of short films. So, he was just a regular, like, 
top-notch acting dog. He's a real Tom Cruise of the pet world. Right? <laughs> uh, he nearly had a full circle of hair around his eye. Oh, like Spot. Yeah. Um, and for the previous, like, Wonder Dog he was, they made it a full circle. Okay. To make, because it was supposed to, he was like a super dog. Um, but they used dye to make it a full circle, so they couldn't get it to wash out. So then it just kind of became the hallmark of uh-huh. Pete the Pup on Our Gang. Uh, when Paul came, oh, Paul. Pal. Why does it say Paul? We don't know. My phone likes to correct things weird. But when Pal came to our gang series, the circle ended up um, making him the most iconic animal actor of the time, Mm -hmm. um, recognizable from any other dog. At first, he was paid $125 a week. That's a lot of money for a dog. That's a lot of money for a dog, and it went up $25 a week after that. Like, every week, he got 25 more dollars. So, like, the first week was 125 the next week was 150 the next week was 175 Mm-hmm. Oh, he Jesus. was the second highest paid actor on the show. Who was the most highest paid? I'm not sure. It didn't well, say. Stupid. I should have looked it up, but... You should have. You should have known I would have asked. You know what? I do a lot of that, and I put them in brackets, and then you don't ask me the questions. So, I stopped doing that for weird things like this. Totally bracketed the amount it was today for earlier when it was the, like, $45 and was... $45 was $440. They're making, like, thousands of dollars a week, this dog is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We just did... (laughs) Wow! (laughs) Okay, so... Anyway, in June of 1930, Pal the Wonder Dog died. Um, It is known that he... It's known that he was fed poisoned meat. Somebody poisoned him. Uh, the poisoner was never found. It's suspected that it was a person to who did it to get back at the owner. Um, or but was it the owner who needed insurance money? I doubt it because the owner, like, they were making thousands of dollars a week. Mm. I mean, and it was his, like... Okay, so anyway, we're going to, so anyway, they think it was someone to get back at the owner, but because this person was never caught, no one really knows what the motive was. Uh, After Pal was killed, one of his puppies, so it's still the owner who's doing it, so maybe. Uh, One of Pal's puppies. um, One of his puppies took his place. Uh, His name is, was Pete. Um, He did not have the circle around his eye, so in every film, Pete would have makeup done so the circle was around his eye but for to pay homage to his father they put the circle around his right eye when his father's eye was around his left eye so they didn't do it exactly the same Mm -hmm. and i thought that was really cute oh that's so cute uh so sweet so that way they're just mirror images of each other just so sweet. Uh, just, 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 puppy. So in nineteen thirty two, Pete's owner was fired and so the dog left the show. Aww. I'm assuming he was probably a raging crazy. That's my guess. Uh after this the studio studio tried a variety of different dogs to replace Pete. When the series ended in nineteen forty four, a dog one of the dogs was given to an employee of the studio. Uh his name was E. R. Lloyd. Was the dog's name? No, the oh. employees. <laughs> they didn't say the dog's dog. name. 
um, for this one because they had so many different dogs yeah. that like it's fine played them. Anyway, so he gave the dog to his daughter and his, and her family, and this dog, an American pit bull, obviously because that's what Pete mm-hmm. was, but was a super friendly dog and soon became part of the family. In fact, the youngest child learned to walk by holding onto the dog's collar. Aww. In April 1946, the family found the dog dead a few feet from the back door. It had been shot by a buckshot, and they still have no clues or no idea why it happened or who did it. You're the worst. I know. But that's what I mean. Is like It seems like they're, they're also cursed because it's like, why? No one knows. The end. They, there's nothing that they can say for that. And then I'm saving the most infamous infamous and um recent mm-hmm. big story for next time oh that's so the that's end of it? this time you're just ending it with dead puppies well yeah i ended it with a lot of dead people <laughs> so people puppies just living beings in general but yeah so the next one is very interesting okay i'm excited i'm ready and that was the part one of the Little Rascal's Curse. The Little Rascal's Curse. Good job. I liked it. Thanks. I thought it was really interesting, so I started digging in, and then it was rabbit hole time, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> Sounds like a weird sexual position. And then it was rabbit hole time, you know what I mean? Then it was rabbit hole time. <laughs> you gotta make the ears. <laughs> <laughs> I farted. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed and it happened. There was too much pressure. Oh. <laughs> I did have cabbage, hey, so. Yeah, you did. It's coming. <laughs> Liver and onions and cabbage is and coming And I'm about up. to have chili. I'm going to blow up tonight. <laughs> blow up tonight. It's a good thing Chris isn't staying over. Ah, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the gassiest bitches around. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> I really am today. <laughs> um, what was I going to fucking say? Oh, oh it's almost spooky month. I know it's almost spooky season. So for it is spooky season, but it's almost spooky month. Well, excuse me. So for October, should we do like spooky paranormal stories? Ooh, I'd like that. Just to change it up for the month, like weird, creepy stories. Yeah, or creatures, or ooh, we could do cryptids, paranormal, Slenderman, ETs, horror, UFOs, exorcisms. These are a few of our favorite things. Ooh. Uh, well, thanks for listening, so, guys. Wait, no. So we are going to do, just so be prepared, as of October, it's not going to be true crime. It's going to be spooky shit. It's going to be spooky shit. So Get that means it. we have one more episode of true crime, and then it's going to be spooky shit. Do a month of spooky shit, and we'll see how it goes. Maybe it'll become a... Maybe it'll become a thing. A thing. Ooh, because... Okay. Let's wrap this up because we got we got a chat. We've got things we to got discuss. Some, all right. We got some uh, brainstorming to all do. All right, people. That sounded like I said R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. people. R.I.P. Right. people. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Look it up. Look it up. Look it. Fucking look it up. <laughs> look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Send us messages. We yeah. love it. We love to hear from you. If Rate, you- review. If you don't know what we look like and you're interested to know what we look like because you have a thing in your head, go to our website or our or our Facebook. Yeah. 
Because Amanda does not look like a cat lady. I don't. I, you guys. Now I want to know what people think I look like. I know! <laughs> this is where I'm like, I never would have thought people thought I looked like that. Well, and it wasn't even bad. Like, the picture he Googled and sent. No. She was, was like, cute. Like, she wasn't like, oh my gosh, crazy looking. But it was just not, not what I would have thought. What Amanda looks like. <laughs> You stupid. Uh, All silly right. goose. So thank you for listening. Thanks for your interactions with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it. Keep them coming. How do we end this? What's, what do we do? Oh, spread the word. Oh, <laughs> spread yourselves. Oh, boy. <laughs> Park your Big Mac truck right in this little garage. Oh, no. <laughs> That's how you want to end it? No, it's how I want to start it. <laughs> oh god that's how you want to going in dry huh <laughs> hey ouch <laughs>